God this morning. Let me pray for that ministry and check out their table again after the service. Lord, I thank you for the White Rainbow Project. Thank you for Linda and the leaders of this ministry and their heart to encourage and evangelize and share the gospel with these widows who are so neglected in Shonda in India. Lord, I pray that you would provide for them. May the gifts that we can buy today bless this ministry. Lord, I pray as we open up your word that we would be ready to receive it, Lord. And we love you and we thank you that you're here with us. Thank you for creating moms. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, talk, I thought I'd take a Sunday and talk about celebrating mothers. Because in reality, when we celebrate mothers, and by the way, dads, your day is coming in June. We're going to celebrate fathers as well. Uh, it, we're celebrating God's plan. We're celebrating the way he established families as the core unit of society, the core unit of our churches. You know, let's face reality, folks. When we have our kids here on Sunday morning, we might have the kids for an hour or so every Sunday morning, but for the rest of the week, they are with their mom or dad or both. And we want to celebrate the fact that God's plan is perfect and what happens in the home is important and that we support what moms and dads are doing to bring Christ into their homes, to bring about the greatest gift you can give your kids, and that's bringing them by the power of God to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing I can do for my kids is to model that for them and to lead them to faith in Christ. They have to make their own decision. I can't make it for them. But to celebrate families, to celebrate God's plan, to celebrate mothers and fathers, the bottom line today of our message is this, that Mother's Day is a time to celebrate mothers and the amazing role they play in our lives. But it's also a time to be reminded of God's perfect plan for families and marriages. And my prayer would be all of us would rejoice in that. I, I want to tell you, I, I see it every day, so do you. God's plan for families is being undermined today. God's plan for marriages is being undermined today. And I get it. If you're an atheist and you don't believe in God or you don't believe in Jesus Christ or you don't believe in the authority of God's word, then everyone becomes an authority on the way families should be run. Then everyone becomes an authority on how marriages should be done. But if you believe in a God that created us and made us in his image, then you would also, by logic, believe that God wants to give us a plan for that marriage. He didn't leave us here to find it out for ourselves. He loves us too much to do that. He gave us his word. You know, I, I play uh, a sport that I'm not that good at about once a year. Anybody know what this is right here? This is a golf driver, right? Here's a driver in golf. I play about once a year. And, and when I go out, I enjoy it. You know, I've made a promise that I will never allow golf, no matter how badly I play, to ruin my day. Amen? Never going to let that happen. But when I go out there, I love playing golf. I, I love hitting the balls. Beautiful. Once a year about, on average. I haven't played this year. I don't know if I am going to play this year. But when I get out there, but here's my problem. I have a terrible slice. It slices off when I drive the ball. I can hit it pretty far, but it slices to the right. It goes in the woods. I spend the next 15 minutes looking for my golf ball, right? Now, I would love somebody to come up and help me. Now, if they came up to me and said, hey, Mel, you got to right, st your stance is okay. It's about the right length. You're holding the club the right way. You're looking at the ball. That's very good. And they told me all the things I was doing right. Does that help me? No, it doesn't. What I need to hear is what I'm doing what? 
wrong? What am I doing wrong? And what saddens me is people love to hear what they're doing right, but it doesn't really help them. Maybe encourages them to keep doing those things right. But what we need to hear is, how can I do better? What are the corrections that I can make to hit the ball so it doesn't slice off 75 yards to the right? That's what I need to hear. And that's the power of God's word today. God's word tells us not only what we're doing right, but here are the things that we can do to improve our relationship with God and the way we do families and marriage. It's so important. So my prayer would be that you would be ready to hear what God's word says to you today and that you would take it in and say, this is how I can improve. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, there should be one nearby, page 978 in your chair Bibles. And we're going to get to, uh, like I said already, we're going to talk to the wives more uh, pointedly on Father's Day. But today I want to address the husbands and all those around moms and how we can build up our moms and celebrate God's plan. Verse 25 says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. See, the, the goal of Christ is to make us better. It's to tell us not only what we're doing right, but also the ways in which we can be more like Christ, to sanctify us, to make us more and more in our walk with Christ, holy, like Jesus. That's what the word sanctify there means. It comes from the root word holiness, having cleansed her by the washing of water from the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, I love this, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves what? Himself. You know, you don't love your wife to love yourself, but that's the beauty of God's word. When you love your wife, you end up blessing yourself. And the same is true for wives, by the way. If you love your husband, you bless yourself. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now I get it. If you're an atheistic evolutionist, you probably believe that every form of sexuality is okay. But if you're not an atheistic evolutionist, like we are not atheistic evolutionists, we believe God created our bodies in an amazing way, a beautiful way where the two become one flesh. I was watching a Nova special about the miracle of life, and it was an hour-long special, received all these awards about how human reproduction is a miracle and how complicated it is. And in essence, when you watch it, you think to yourself, God made this amazing process that is incredibly complicated. The whole process of birth is, is just awesome. That's why the show was called The Miracle of Life. But it was sad at the very end of the show, which to me was a show proving that this was a system designed by God. They said something like this, and this process was formed over billions of years of evolution. It just totally did not match what the whole show was about. The two shall become one flesh. And by the way, oneness is more than just a sexual oneness. 
This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, here's what we need to do now. We need to take the principles of God's word and rightly apply them to our lives. Here's what happens very often in our culture. People hear the word of God and they hear what culture has to say and they wrongly apply the word of God. See, if you rightly apply the word of God, you'll have a full and abundant life. That's what Jesus said. I came that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. He didn't say an easy life. He said an abundant life. A life that's worth living. A life that has meaning and purpose. A life that matches the creator God who made us. That should be our desire. Taking the word of God, God's principles, rightly applying them. And then that will lead to a full abundant life. Sadly, what people do is they take the word of God and they wrongly apply it. They try to find ways around the word of God to match what the culture is saying. My friends, it doesn't matter what the culture is saying. We go back to the original designer. If you want to find out how anything works, go back to the original designer, the one who designed it. See, God created marriage. Marriage is God's intellectual property. Have you been hearing in the news about China stealing our intellectual property? Have you heard about that? And all the efforts to try to stop China from stealing our intellectual property and copying it and selling it for much cheaper The whole principle there is we own this technology. You can't steal it and change it and call it your own. That's exactly what our culture does. It has stolen the intellectual property of God, marriage, and wants to redefine it and change it. Can't do that. It's God's intellectual property. They're wrongly applying what the word of God says. What does that lead to? It leads to a frustrating life. Why? Because we're not doing it according to the designer's plan. See, they're negating God's principles by wrongly applying it. That's what we should not do. We gotta get rid of the wrong application of God's word. We have to receive the word of God for what it is. That's a wise person. That's a wise person who takes the word of God, who's ready to receive it, who rejects the thinking of this world because it's man's wisdom, and man's wisdom is foolishness when it comes to God's wisdom. But so often we give in to the thinking of this world. We should never be ashamed of the word of God and what it says. We love teaching the word of God without apology. Amen, church? We're not apologizing for the word of God. It's God's plan and we should follow it. Here's the first thing I want to challenge you with from Ephesians chapter 5. Loving and supporting our mothers is a powerful way to celebrate God's plan. When we love and support our moms, it's a powerful way to celebrate God's plan. It says that right in Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives. Of course, you're probably thinking, is that the word that we talk about quite a bit here at Riverview? It is the word agape. It's this unconditional selfless love. When Jesus said, for God so loved the world, the word in John 3, 16 in the Greek is agape. It's the love that God had for the world when we were still rebelling against God, when we were still in opposition to God. God loved us. See, and that's the kind of love that husbands need to love their wives with, to love mothers with. It's not a love that says, I'll love you if you do that. That is a conditional love. 
It's not a love that says, I'll love you when you do this. See, there's no doubt in God's word that God has called the husbands to be the leader of the family. Husbands ought to have a finger on the pulse of their marriage. They're to set the tone of marriages. And they are to say to their wives, I will love you no matter what. I will love you with God's love to the best of my ability. Now, there are times when all of us struggle. There are times when all of us experience something in marriage that frustrates us and our our flesh wants to rise up and get angry and our flesh, flesh wants to rise up and somehow get even with our spouse. But God says to love with an unconditional love, to get rid of that selfish love. I'll scratch your back when you scratch mine. That's a selfish love. See, the foundation of loving moms is and loving wives is that agape love that God has given to us. To love your wife, to love your, the mom in your life is an agape love, an unconditional love. Now, every time we talk about husbands loving wives, I know what the world says. The world will say, well, hey, the Bible talks about the husband being the leader. That is terrible. That we, There should be an egalitarian approach. There should, should be no distinction between husband and wife and the roles that they have. Now, I get it. If you're an atheistic evolutionist, if you believe that we all evolved from monkeys or a lower form of animals, and there's no plan, then I can see why a person would promote that plan. But if you believe that God designed us and made us and established marriage, and marriage is his intellectual property, then you want to follow his plan. Now, when God says husbands are to love their wives as the leader of the home, he doesn't mean that they're a dictator. We're not to be dictators. If you're a dictator, husbands, to your wife or the mother in your home, that's not following God's plan. That's absolutely not following God's plan. And by the way, the world uses all those bad examples of husbands being dictators who claim to be followers of Christ as a way to discount the word of God. See, here's a Christian who's a dictator in his home. That is not God's plan. Husbands are not to be demeanors. They're not to put down people in the home. They're not to put down their wife. That's not God's plan. They're not to be demanders either. I uh, reverse those words. They're not to be demanders. You're not to say, do this, do that, get this for me, get that. That's not what the role of the husband is all about. They're not to be destroyers. See, the role of a husband to the mother of his kids, to the wife that he has, is to be a builder is to build up, is to be the servant leader. We see it in the text. Love your wives as Christ what? Love the church. What was the greatest display of love that Christ gave to the church, to you and me? Going all the way to the cross. He gave his life for the church. Now, if you're a husband, you should be shaking in your Nike shoes a little bit because you realize God has called me to love my wife Love my family like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I want to ask all the husbands here today, especially on Mother's Day, are you giving of yourself to your wife? Are you giving of yourself to your family? Are they the priority that you have? See, Jesus knew exactly why he came to this earth. He came to lay down his life for us. He came as a ransom for many. He knew what his purpose was in giving of himself. 
And we're to have that same purpose in our marriages. We're to do it God's way. You might say, well, Mel, it's hard sometimes in marriage because you're dealing with another human who's imperfect. Exactly. You're not doing it for the other person in reality. According to Scripture, you live this way because you do it for Jesus. You say, Lord, in light of the way you love me, I will love this imperfect person who is my spouse. And by the way, any humble person would realize I am imperfect too. I do things that frustrate my spouse. But I am to set the tone and be this unconditional lover. Remember, and this is what our society needs to hear, men and women have equal value in God's eyes. No question about it. Can you imagine, we talked about this a few weeks ago when Paul said, there is no distinction between slave and free, Greek and Scythian, male and female. What? Paul, what are you saying? See, the words of the New Testament were powerful in those days because women were looked down upon. That was not God's plan. Women have equal value in God's eyes. But here's another thing that's very clear in Scripture. Men and women are different according to God's design. Men and women are different. We see that physically. You look at a man and a woman, they're different. Beautifully created by God to perfectly come together, not only in physical union, but in a marriage. You might say, well, Mel, that's that's interesting. Of course, they're different physically. What about in the way they think? I saw an interesting study that was done. Brain differences, it was called, in the Washington Times. This is what the article said in studying men and women. Attention, Dr. Frankenstein and maybe Gloria Steinem. There are girl brains, then there are boy brains. But there's one, not one generic human brain. No matter what hand-wringing feminists may insist in their quest for sexual equality. And it goes on to say this. Using MRIs, Richard Heyer of the University of California found that men, there's good news for men and women, by the way, in this study, Men have more than six times the amount of gray matter which controls information processing in their brains as women do. But females have 10 times the amount of white matter which controls networking abilities. Do you kind of get that? You know, when you go to a women's Bible study, they're all talking and having just a great time. You go to a men's study and they're just kind of sitting there quietly around the tables. Women have this networking ability, and we're talking generally speaking, right? There's always exceptions to the rule. But this study found females have 10 times the amount of white matter, which controls networking abilities. The findings may help explain why men excel in tasks requiring more local processing, like mathematics, while women tend to excel at integrating and assimilating information. Then I went on to say this. There's some reassuring common ground, though. A study of almost 700 adults released yesterday by Cornell University found that men and women are happier with each other rather than alone. And the stronger the relationship's commitment, the greater the happiness and sense of well-being of the partners the analysis found. See, there are these amazing differences between men and women that God created. One of my favorite teachers at my seminary where I received my MDiv was a man by the name of Dr. Carson, a a world-renowned scholar. He put it this way, complementarians, the the complementarian view is a view that holds that the Bible teaches equality of importance and significance for both are made in the image of God, but that distinctions are made that assign 
complementary roles in home and church. It's a beautiful thing in God's plan when two people come together like a pilot and a co-pilot in a jet airplane. My wife flies for American Airlines. There's a team in that cockpit every time they fly, a pilot and a co-pilot. They have different roles and responsibilities in that cockpit, but their goal is the same, to get the plane to its destination. That's the beauty of God's word. He's created this beautiful team that does not allow the husband to be absent from the family, that does not allow the husband to say, oh, family, that's for the ladies. I'm going to go out and play golf every day. I'm going to work on my swing every day. No, that doesn't, that doesn't fit what Scripture says. We're to be engaged in the process of family. We're to be involved. See, this is what it says in the text. I love it. For no one, the Bible says, ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. The word nourish here is the word ektrepho in the Greek. It speaks of a tender, loving care, which seeks to identify and meet the needs of another person. It's to look outside of yourself and see the needs of others. That's where the word ek comes from. It's to look outside of yourself. So one key aspect of a husband is to sacrificially give of himself. We're to love our wives and give of ourselves like Jesus gave to the church. That talks about a focus and a priority and a passion. I want to tell you, folks, if husbands do this, wives will never question the plan of God. They'll never say, why did God tell the man to be engaged and be the leader like he did? Because he wants men involved. He wants men to be focused on their wives. He wants men to be focused on their families. He wants the, fa- the, the marriage and the family to be a priority. And he wants it to be a passion. The passion of Christ is clear, to give himself for the church. The passion of men should be clear. I'm here to give my life for my marriage and my family. Yes, I have other things to do in my life, but this is my passion. And part of that comes in nourishing your wife, to strengthen her with your presence and encouragement. Last week we talked a great deal about encouraging, how that is incredibly close to the heart of God that we encourage one another. You might say, well, Mel, how do I do that? Well, I, I, I took some freedom with the five love languages that Gary Chapman wrote a book about. And I want to give you five ways to nourish your wife or the moms in your life. Let me just take a drink of water. One is to encourage them with encouraging words. Hey, husbands, if you want to nourish your spouse. If you want to nourish the mother of your children, then you need to give them encouraging words to be an encourager. Here's another way. Thoughtful gifts. They didn't have to be expensive gifts. Thoughtful gifts. It could be a a gift of a handwritten note to your spouse. Nourishing her with your words. Acts of service. One of those projects around the house that your wife has been wanting you to do. An act of service can be a wonderful way to nourish the mom, the wives in your life. Focus time together. 
that husbands can focus on their wives eye to eye, heart to heart, connecting with your wives, giving your wife that focused time. Now remember, wives, Father's Day is coming. I'm going to be challenging you as well on Father's Day. Then another one of those powerful love languages, affectionate touch. You know, these five things are really powerful. And Gary Chapman, who's a Christian author, says that these love languages are so prevalent in our world. Everyone connects with at least one of those love languages more powerfully than others. Probably two or three of them more powerfully than the others. But they're all wonderful ways to nourish the person that's your spouse, to nourish the mother of your children. Encouraging words, thoughtful gifts, acts of service, focused time together, affectionate touch. And the reality is you might say, well, Mel, I I don't know if I'm good at that stuff. Well, here's the reality. You, at some point in your life, were good enough at it to win the heart of the woman that is your wife, right? You had the ability to win her heart, probably because you were doing these five things. And somehow, over time, we've lost that focus to nourish our wives, like the word of God says. How do you nourish? Think, how do I nourish someone? You know how to nourish yourself physically. Every morning when you get up, you have a, a, some, a breakfast to nourish your body. You have physical food to nourish yourselves. We need that same strategy with our marriages, to nourish our wives, our moms. Then it says this, but nourishes it and cherishes it See, the implication here is that we're to cherish our wives in our lives. The Greek word here is thalpo. It comes from the root word to keep warm. It's the word that's used when a hen is brooding over its chicks, keeping those chicks warm. This tenderness of cherishing, tender care. So when you love your wife, you sacrificially give, you nourish, but you also cherish I define that as highly value and praise her privately and publicly. Let me give you a few ways to cherish moms in your life, to express thanks and value to them, to be thankful for what they do for you, to be thankful, to encourage them with thankfulness. You might say, well, my spouse isn't perfect and, and my spouse makes mistakes. So do you, by the way. And that doesn't mean we can't say thank you for the things they do right. It doesn't mean we can't value them for the things they do well. Here's another part of cherishing moms, that we have a calling to protect and defend them. You know, I I really have to see that as a core value that I have as a dad, to protect my family, to protect my marriage. I don't want anything coming into my home, into my marriage that undermines it. I don't want anything coming into my home that contradicts the principles of God's word. See, I need to have a joy in affirming my wife's gifts and abilities. When you cherish someone, You affirm their gifts and abilities. You're really good at this. You're really strong in this area. You're amazing when you do this with our kids. And here's another way we cherish our moms. We value their insight and advice. We value their insight and advice. We're not demanders. We're not demeaners. We don't have a caveman approach to marriage. 
but it's a team together bringing that plane to its destination. So loving your wives is all of these things. Sacrificially giving, nourishing, and cherishing. And in so doing, you glorify and obey God. This is one of the most powerful ways to glorify and obey God in your life is to do marriage God's way, to do family God's way, to take what the church is doing with your kids and lead your family men in this way, to truly be that leader in your home that God has called you to be, that servant leader that gives of himself for his wife and his kids. That's when you will find an abundant life. That's when you'll uh, exclaim, you know what? The more I put into this, the more I get out of it. The more I pour into my marriage, the more I get out of it. And, and let me tell you, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. Does it come automatically to me as a pastor to do all these things? No. Do I need to be reminded of this as a pastor? Yes. Do I know when I've gone through a week and I realize I haven't spent quality time with my family, my kids, or my wife, that I have fallen short of God's plan for what I should have done that week? Absolutely. I feel that loving conviction of the Holy Spirit. So I want to tell you it's a battle for me too. But I don't question the wisdom of God's word. I don't question his plan. I know my wife, and she's not here. She'll be here later. I know my wife blossoms when I'm the godly husband I should be. I know my wife wilts when I'm not the godly husband I should be. And I see it again and again, the wisdom of God's plan. So I want to challenge us all to strengthen and build up marriages as a wonderful way to demonstrate our love for God. You know, God said in the very beginning, right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. If you turn to Genesis 2, it's a beautiful passage, right? Adam's naming all the animals, and he's like, that's a giraffe, that's not like me, that's an elephant, that's not like me. He's naming all the animals. But it says this in Genesis 2. If you look at verse 18, then the Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he called them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Do you sense the relief of Adam? In the paraphrased phrase version, when he sees Eve, he goes, wow, fantastic, finally, someone that's like me. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to the wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
and the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. See, here's the thing. A man is to leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. The one flesh, the bonding there, one scholar put it this way, is the relational heart of marriage. Hold fast conveys the idea of being glued together spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. That's God's plan for loving our mothers. That's God's plan for loving our wives. See, it's not that marriage has been tried and found wanting. Here's the reality, folks. In our culture, marriage has not been tried God's way. Amen? That's why we fail, because one or two of us in the marriage rejects God's plan, and that's why they fail. God's plan is perfect. I love what it says in 1 Peter 3, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Hey, the heart of every husband ought to be, I want to understand my wife. I want to understand her. Reminds me of the, of the uh, and I'm not saying it's easy. Reminds me of the uh, man who found a bottle on the, on the Pacific coast and uh, he rubbed the bottle and out popped this genie. And the genie said, I'll grant you any wish, whatever it will be. And the man said, you know, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I am afraid of flying. Could you build me a road from California to Hawaii? And the genie said, do you realize how much dirt that is? Do you realize how much that would take to build a road from California to Hawaii? Is there any other wish I could grant? The man said, well, you know, I've really been trying to understand my wife. Could you help me understand my wife? The genie turned to the man and said, do you want a two-lane highway or a four-lane highway? <laughs> We're all difficult to understand at times, right, folks? We all find it difficult to understand. I know my wife finds it difficult to understand me. But we are challenged to live with our wives in an understanding way, to find what blesses her, to find what really ignites her passion. See, that's what oneness is all about. It's more than just a sexual union. It's an unconditional love that has a focused attention and effort on this wonderful thing that God has brought into my life, my marriage. I need to focus on it. And I have realized, my friends, the more I do that, the more I bless my wife, but the more I bless myself. And that I have a humble and teachable heart as the leader of my family. That I am here to sacrifice myself like Jesus sacrificed himself for the church, his bride. I'm to sacrifice myself for my family. I don't always do it well. And I need to do it better. And that at all levels, I endeavor to be intimate with my wife and honor God in the way I do marriage, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, physically. See, oneness is a commitment to strive for that intimacy, to turn off the TV for a while, to not get so distracted with all these other activities in your life, but get to know your spouse. And if you haven't been doing it, do what I've done at times. Go to your wife and say, honey, I'm sorry, I've been distracted. I've neglected you. I'm sorry. I've been too involved in these other things and I've neglected you and the family. Strive for intimacy. Have a commitment to share life together. That's what oneness is all about. A commitment to know each other deeply and still delight in each other's presence. We're to love our wife as we love ourselves. Here, wives, 
today, wife can convey to her husband, let's brainstorm together about ways in which I can step in and support you to be the loving and engaged leader God has called you to be. Wives, please don't battle against the plan of God. You will love the plan of God if your husband rises up and becomes the loving, engaged leader God has called him to be. You will be nourished and cherished. And that husbands convey to your wife, let's brainstorm together about ways in which I can serve you and lead you in ways that strengthen us as a loving, sacrificial, committed team. That I will step up and lead, and you step in and support, and we become this powerful team, like a pilot and co-pilot that does life God's way. And is not ashamed of it. We're not ashamed of it. This is God's plan for marriage. This is his intellectual property. And the reason why so many families and marriages are failing is because they have rejected God's plan. And we choose not to do that. Amen, church? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer together. As your hearts are bowed today, my prayer would be that we would love God's plan. And that we would say, Lord, I want to take your word and live by it. It's so clear what your plan is for marriage. People try to redefine it, reinterpret, misapply, but it's so clear. And so, Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today, as we celebrate mothers, that we would nourish and cherish and sacrificially give to these amazing women in our lives, that husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church. And Lord, I pray that our marriages would be an example of what your plan can do. Help us to get rid of our selfishness. Help us to get rid of compromising to please the opinions of this world. God, help us to do marriage your way. Lord, I I thank you for the mothers today that are here. God, I pray that they would know that this is a role that you created. And we give you the praise and the glory for all that you've done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Oh, God, wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy. Oh, God, I want this.